This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Um, as found in Ephesians chapter 4, um, what does it mean to be unified in our faith? What are the things that we believe? What are the basics of our faith? And we've been sharing the last couple of weeks about God, sin, and last week Pastor Vanner shared about salvation. Um, I, I want to continue this morning around what we believe concerning baptism. It's one of the foundations of our faith. Um, it's what unifies us together. And so... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Anyway, we're having a baptism today. So um, Marie is also being baptized today, and, um, and I'm sharing around this concept. And maybe there would be some others here today that would like to join her. You are, of course, most welcome. Um, so what do we believe about baptism? What makes it so significant? Why is it a central part of the faith? Why does Paul call it one of the foundations of our faith? Um, the elementary things of our faith, that what we start off with in Acts chapter 2 gives us a glimpse to the reality and the significance and the importance of baptism. It says here, but when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. It has been central to the Christian faith right from the beginning. Now, of course, we are first introduced to this concept of baptism in the Gospels. All the Gospels starts with the last of the great prophets, the last of the Old Testament prophets, the last that represented an old covenant and was preparing the way for a new that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist announced the long-awaited news that the kingdom of God was on the verge of breaking into the history of man, bringing with it a standard of righteousness that man could not attain by himself, but only by the grace of God. But entering into this kingdom required a prerequisite of repentance and forgiveness. That was John's message. That the kingdom of God is at hand, but you need to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Otherwise, you cannot enter into it. That was his message. It was a radical message. And we read of this in Mark 1 verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And there was two concepts that were so powerful and controversial in the act of baptism was these concepts of repentance and forgiveness as a requirement for entering into the kingdom of God. A radical message to the Jews that believed that they had a right to the kingdom based on their election. That the kingdom of God is theirs because Abram is their father and they are seeds of him. And because of the commitment and the covenant that their fathers made, they had a right to the kingdom. And therefore the kingdom was theirs through covenant. And circumcision was the sign of that covenant made by their fathers. 
Now, John the Baptist responds to this concept we see in Matthew chapter 3 from verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think and say to yourself, We have Abram as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abram from these stones. So don't even go there. But what made the act of baptism even greater offense is that it was in a real sense saying that the old covenant would not ensure entrance into the kingdom of God, but a new one. Therefore, there was great offense and also anticipation of what is this new covenant, this new way, this strange thing that this prophet is introducing with this great announcement that the kingdom is at hand. Jesus addressed the same mindset with Nicodemus, a mindset under the old covenant that because of our lineage to Abram and our election, that they have a right into the kingdom of God. We read here in John chapter 3, and then Jesus answered him and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you will not see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can it be that a man must be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Most Assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. A new and living way to enter into the kingdom of God. It is not your parents that determines your right to the kingdom. For whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Therefore, you must be born again. Born of water and of spirit. A new way that grants us entrance into the kingdom of God. And this is where we, we get this term of a born again believer. Have you ever heard that term used before? It refers back to Jesus and his conversation with Nicodemus that said, you must be born again. And it refers to the fact that it has nothing to do with what your parents decided or what they did or their parents before them. It's everything to do about your faith in Christ. You need to be born again. Because whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born from Adam is in sin. And therefore you must be born again. And so it refers to this moment in a believer's life when we personally accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we humble ourselves and say, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I am lost without God. I cannot save myself but God. And so I cling to His grace and I choose to believe what He says about His Son that was sacrificed for me. And God, I choose to accept you. It's at that moment when you are born again. Not when you were a child. 
an infant in the hands of your parents when you were christened. That does not seal your salvation. Because we are not saved by covenant. We are saved by grace through faith. And so every person needs to have a moment in their life where they made a decision to follow Jesus, to be born again. Is there a moment in your life where you made a decision to accept this grace that God gave us through His Son and to commit yourself to follow Him as Lord and Savior? That is your only hope for salvation. <laughs> when we humbled ourselves to accept Him as Lord and Savior. Jesus later came to John the Baptist. John the Baptist to be baptized. A profound moment in history where the Son of God came to a man to be baptized. Not an act of repentance or forgiveness because he was perfect, but an act of righteousness. And this is a profound moment in our understanding of the significance of baptism where for us it is a place of repentance and forgiveness, but for Christ it was an act of righteousness. And so we read in Matthew 3 from verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me? And then Jesus said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And so John baptized the Son of God, not from a place of repentance or forgiveness, but from a place of righteousness. An act of righteousness, the, the last Adam came to pave the way, to set the example for the new creation to follow into the kingdom of God. The old was through a covenant and circumcision, and the new is by grace through faith. Expressed in a very powerful way. This act of submission and the statement that Jesus made made remains a standing rebuke to all who think that baptism is not necessary and a great encouragement to those who want to follow him with everything. <laughs> if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. If it was necessary for Jesus, how much more it is for me. And that's what he told John, it is necessary for us. It is fitting. This act of righteousness points to this new way of entering into the kingdom. Not only was Jesus baptized himself, he, he began his ministry with the same message as John's and the act of baptizing people. We read in Matthew 4 verse 17, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he baptized just as John did. As a matter of fact, we read in in, in John 4, that under Jesus' ministry, more people were baptized than John did. 
We read here from verse 1, Therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. It was part and parcel, not just of Christ's example, but his teaching and ministry. But after Christ's sacrifice for our sin on the cross and his resurrection, baptism came to its full. And was not just a preparation, but a sign of entrance into the kingdom. In Acts 8 verse 12 we read, But when they believed Philip, when he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. That was the response to the gospel. The response for those who believe, who accepted this good news that by grace we are saved through faith in Christ, were all baptized. That was the outer call of the early church. And Mark 16, verse 16, it says, And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned already. Baptism does not save you. Faith does. But baptism is the sign that you believe. It is the sign that you have decided to follow Jesus. That you believe that he is indeed the Son of God, the Savior of the world, that died for your sins, and that you now belong to him. It is the initiation into the kingdom of God. Throughout the New Testament, we see this being a powerful part of the natural, spiritual, normal birth of Christians. You have faith, you repent, you get baptized, and you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the pattern that we have in the New Testament. It's the only pattern that we have. The requirement was repentance and faith in Christ. As we read in Acts chapter 2 from verse 37, that very first time that Peter stood up after being empowered by the Holy Spirit and shared the gospel, after that we read, and now they were... When, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do in response to this great news? And then Peter responded, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is the pattern we have in the New Testament. Baptism was always a response to faith. Nowhere in Scripture was anybody baptized that did not believe. It was always a response. It was and it is the believer's baptism. So baptism was part of this powerful act of accepting Christ. The outer call that was so closely associated with salvation that the terms was used interchangeably. Not that baptism saves you, but it was always the sign of salvation. And so the writers were not careful or hesitant to use baptism in the light of salvation. Because everybody that got saved got baptized, so they didn't change it. In 1 Peter 3, verse 20, we read, Those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built, 
In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Christ. What saves you is your faith in Christ. But for the early church, there was no difference between being saved and being baptized. Baptism does not save you. Faith does. But baptism was the sign that you do believe. A declaration to heaven and hell and to the world that you believe and you choose to identify with Christ, his death and his resurrection, and that he is now your Lord whom you will follow for the rest of your life. Romans 6, we read it so powerfully. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what baptism symbolizes. Our acceptance and identification with Christ not just his death, but also his resurrection. That from this point on, my old man is dead. My old life is gone. From this day on, I now follow Jesus. That's baptism. <laughs> baptism is a sacrament. Jesus only instituted two, the Lord's Supper and baptism. A sacrament is a physical and spiritual act. The, the Hebrew understanding of a sacrament was a physical act that had a spiritual effect. There's something that happens when we take, partake of communion. There's something that happens when we partake of it in an unworthy manner. There's something that happens when we partake in baptism. Something powerful, a physical act with a spiritual effect. The spiritual is profound. So is the physical. An act of obedience from our side, which is physical, but then something spiritual. A circumcision of the heart that is done without hands. Paul describes it this way, and I'll say it again. A circumcision of the heart that is done without hands. Something happens when you make the decision to follow Jesus and be baptized. Something profoundly spiritual. Colossians 2 verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcision with the circumcision that was made without hands. By putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God and raised, who raised him from the dead. Something powerful about not just our faith, but our identity that speaks of our destiny to be raised with him forever. In baptism, the power of sin is broken and a new life begins. The old is gone. Romans 6 from verse 5 continues, For we have been united, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Powerful reality and identity through a sacrament that is both physical and spiritual that takes place on that day, that will take place on this day for those who join us. Christ's final instruction to the apostles in Matthew 28 from verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to me. Therefore, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our final instruction. Jesus not only was baptized, taught baptism, but commanded it. He said, we must go and make disciples. How do we make disciples? We baptize them. <laughs> and then we teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught. That's how you make disciples. That's how you know somebody is a disciple. A disciple is somebody who follows the example and the teaching of a teacher. And Jesus is our teacher and Lord. And he was baptized himself. And he commanded us to do the same. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord, what hinders you from being baptized? In Acts 8 we read, and as they went down to the road, they came to some water and the Enoch said to Philip, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? After hearing the gospel, the good news of Christ, and accepting it in his heart, he wanted to know what hinders me from entering into the kingdom. Because it's the outer call, it's the sign that I've accepted Christ in my life. And Philip said to him, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the Enoch went down into the water, and he baptized him. What an amazing moment. And testimony to us all to this very day. If you believe, what hinders you? Let us pray together. Father, we thank you that you've come to give us life. Not through the law or perfection. Or striving or, or trying. But, but 
because of your love for us by grace, you paid the price. You fulfilled the law and paid the price so that through faith, whosoever believes in you will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's foolishness to man, but it's the wisdom of God. Thank you, God, for this privilege we have. Your grace towards us to reveal Christ to us so that we can stand at the point of choosing whether we're going to accept or reject what you have done for us. Lord, thank you that we can enter into the kingdom through faith. And what a privilege to be baptized in your name. To stand before heaven and hell and the world and witnesses, whoever they may be, surrender ourselves to you. Oh Lord, we thank you for this great privilege. Lord, I pray for us today who maybe have not yet come to that point of surrendering everything. What hinders you today? The weather? Man? Culture? Your church? What hinders you from humbling yourself and accepting Christ publicly? If you believe, if you're willing to surrender your life and accept Him as your Lord and follow Him wherever He chooses to lead you, today is a good day. Don't postpone it. Surrender whatever hindering you from following with everything. And for some of us, this is a big step. Just like for the Jews, it might mean that for some you are saying you're portraying your culture and everything that you have learned in church up to this point. But if that is what it takes, it's a small price to pay. (laughs) So Lord, I pray for each and every one of us here to consider that call to follow you. And even for us who were baptized, Lord, to renew our commitment follow you unashamedly as we did that day when we surrendered and were baptized and I want to give you an opportunity where you are just right now just to respond to the Lord in your own words just speak to him Maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to God. You've never responded to this great act of sacrifice of grace towards you. Love to redeem you. If you've never surrendered your life to God, I want to give you an opportunity while all the eyes are closed just to respond to God by raising your hand. Say, God, here I am, Lord. I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. Give me my life. If that is you, just raise your hand. Just high that I can see. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for those hands. Someone is going to come and pray with you in a moment. Just where you're seated. But Lord, I want to pray for each and every other person here today, Lord, that we make that recommitment to follow you, Lord. I thank you for these bold decisions to follow you, Lord, unashamedly. Lord, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you will come and reveal yourself 
through your spirit, Lord. Open their eyes of their understanding to know how great your love is for them, what it means to be a child of God, to be accepted into your kingdom. Lord, I pray, Father, that as you build in them your spirit and your kingdom, Lord, I thank you, Lord, that they will be witnesses of you unashamedly. And Lord, I pray that they will inspire us to do the same to continually share what you have done for us through Christ and his spirit in us. We thank you for this. Lord, help us, grant us to be bold in our witness. And when we see others turn to you, to give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. What baptism cannot do for you. Baptism deals with your past. It deals with the sins that you have committed and your old man. But it cannot completely deal with your future. Enable you to live a life of righteousness. For that, you need someone else. Baptism sets us up for something far greater. That is for next week. But I'll give you a, a preview. Matthew 3 verse 11, Jesus was testified about him. And, and John says, Indeed, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's next week. May God bless you. Hope to see you then. If you want to join us for baptism, we're going to baptize half past 12 at the Old Harbor. If you want to join us in that great moment, um, please do so. Um, you might need an umbrella. Um, but you're the lucky ones. You can back, go back home first. But please join us half past 12. It's always such a powerful witness and testimony to the town that the kingdom of God is alive and people are still getting saved, making commitments to follow Him. And if you made a commitment today, why not get baptized as well? It'll change everything. Amen. Thank you for coming. May God bless you. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.